All right, well, hey, good morning, everybody. Welcome to Grace Church here at the Medina East Campus. We're so glad to have you with us as uh, we are actually continuing in a series that we started last week that we are calling Winning the Battle Within, Winning the Battle Within. And uh, if you're a guest with us here today, if this is your first time at Grace, hey, thanks so much for being with us. Thanks for joining us in this uh, conversation. My name is Tony, one of the pastors here on staff at Grace. And so if we've never had a chance to meet personally, I'd love to get a chance to do that. So I'm gonna be out in the cafe Afterwards, please stop me, tell me your story, tell me how you got here, and I would love to to get a chance to meet you. But if you are a guest, if you're just joining us this week uh, in this conversation, let me kind of recap kind of the topic that we are discussing uh, throughout this conversation. So so really, in this series, uh, Winning the Battle Within, what we're doing is really kind of asking this question, how do we become people that are more like thermostats and less like thermometers? And I, I know if you weren't here last week, that probably sounds really weird to you. But basically last week, what we said is, we said that uh, as it relates to life circumstances, how we navigate and react and respond to the circumstances we face in life, there's really one of two ways you can do that, right? You can do that as a thermostat or as a thermometer. And so here's what we said. We said all of us know how a thermometer works, right? A thermometer is an instrument that is designed in such a way uh, that it always reflects and reacts to the, out, the external circumstance it finds itself in. So wh- whatever environment you put a, a thermometer in, it is going to reflect the environment that it is within. And, and so it fluctuates depending on the external circumstances. We said a thermostat, on the other hand, and all of us kind of know how a thermostat works. A thermostat is something that maintains a constant climate regardless of external weather. Right? A thermostat is fixed on a predetermined number and it adjusts to that regardless of what the weather is like outside, whether it's hot or cold or whatever it might be. And here's what we said. We said that as it relates to navigating through life circumstances, you can do that in one of two ways, right? And so we're asking, how do we become more like a thermostat? In other words, how do we become people who are not defined by or defeated by the external circumstances we find ourselves in? How do we become people who our external circumstances don't determine who we are and they don't determine how we are, right? Instead, how do we become people that are more like thermostats? How do we become people who, regardless of what's happening around us, regardless of if it's a good time or a bad time or a hard time or an easy time, that we remain constant in our convictions, in our character, in our conduct, in our faith? How do we become people like that? And that's the question that we're kind of talking about together. And again, here's why I think this is such an important conversation. The reason I think this is so important and so relevant is because I have found that for many, 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 many people, that oftentimes we believe that the source of joy and contentment in life is actually found within our circumstances, without, right? If I just had the right circumstances, if I just had peace in my life, then I would experience true peace, true fulfillment, true happiness. But I think the Bible's going to tell us something different. The Bible's going to say that, no, Actually, the real key to those things is not fighting the battle without in your circumstances. It's actually winning the battle within, right? It is not my external circumstances that determines my joy and fulfillment. It's how I respond in the midst of those things, how I react in the midst of my circumstances. So that's what we've been talking about. And, um, and so the story that we're looking at together to kind of help us get some ideas of how to become people like this, is we're actually looking at the story of Joseph, a very famous story in the Old Testament. In fact, if you're a person who grew up in the church or if you're a Bible person, you've probably heard his story, right? Joseph's a pretty famous guy. But the reason we're looking at his story is because in the story of Joseph, we're gonna watch a man go through life and experience some of the most turbulent circumstances imaginable. Right, he, his, his external circumstances are going to fluctuate all 
over the place. And yet what we're gonna see with Joseph is that he remains constant in his convictions, in his character, in his conduct, in his faith through the whole thing. And the question we're saying is, man, how did he do it? How did Joseph do it? And how do we do it? How do we become people that reflect that same consistency in the midst of fluctuating circumstances? And so here's what we said. We said that for the remainder of the five weeks that we have in this series, we're gonna look together at five internal perspectives, that there are five perspectives that Joseph is going to teach us that we believe, that I think the Bible shows us, allowed Joseph and empowered him to be able to stay constant in his circumstances. And so today, I'm excited because we're gonna pick up the story where we left off. And so let's just jump right back into that story. So if you got your Bibles, why don't you take them with me? Let's go ahead and flip over to Genesis 39. Okay, so that's where we're gonna head this morning. Genesis chapter 39. So grab your Bibles. Page 28 is where you're gonna find that, by the way, if you're using one of our Bibles in the chairs in front of you. And so if you didn't bring a Bible, you can use one of our Bibles. And if you don't have a Bible, you can have one of ours. Okay, we would love for you to take one of those. So Genesis 39, uh, however you get there, your device, your Bible, one of our Bibles, however, Genesis 39 is where we're going. And you can, you can flip there. Now, as you're finding Genesis 39, I thought that, uh, that it might be a good idea as we tee off this conversation for me to start with a question. Okay, so I, I wanna ask you a question that I want you to consider. And I think this is a really powerful question. In fact, um, this is a question that I first heard uh, uh, I've adapted it, but I first heard it from a guy named Andy Stanley. He's a pastor, teacher, leader. I thought this was such a powerful question. And I just want you to take a moment before we jump in. I just want you to consider this. Okay, so here's the question. What would somebody in your current circumstances do if they were absolutely confident that God was with them? That's the question I want you to think about. What would somebody in your current circumstances do if they were like totally positive, completely sure, absolutely confident that God was with them. Now, I know like at first glance, this probably seems like a pretty basic question, maybe like a simple question, but I actually don't think that's the case. I actually think this is a very deep question. I think it's a very profound question. And I actually want you to think about it for real. What would somebody in your marriage, in your divorce, in your singleness, in your dating, in your business, in your family, in your school, in your whatever, right? Whatever your circumstances are right now, what would somebody who was completely, just like completely confident that God was with them, what would they do if they knew that God was there and he was with them? Now, here's why I think this this question is so relevant. It's so relevant because I believe this is the question that Genesis chapter 39 is going to force us to ask ourselves. And I'll show you what I mean by that. So let's go ahead and start. We're gonna kick it up in verse one is where we're gonna begin here today. Now, uh, before we start in verse one, let me just recap for those of you who maybe missed last week. Uh, last week, uh, we began our story by being introduced to Joseph. So when we first met Joseph, the Bible said that he was a young guy, 17 years old. Uh, he came from a pretty dysfunctional family, the Bible tells us. He actually had 11 brothers. And so 10 of his older brothers, the Bible says, hated him, hated him. In fact, they hated him so much that they actually plotted to murder him. And then at the last minute, they decided not to murder him, but instead to sell him into slavery. And so last week, that's actually where we left off the story. Joseph was sold into slavery by his brothers, and he was uprooted from the nation of Israel where he lived, and he was sent off to Egypt where he was sold as a slave. And so now we're gonna start off in verse one. We're gonna kind of pick up the story where we left off. So check this out. Verse one, now Joseph had been taken down to Egypt, Potiphar, an Egyptian who was one of Pharaoh's officials, 
the captain of the guard, bought him from the Ishmaelites who had taken him there. All right, so let's just pause for a minute and kind of recap again. So Joseph has been sold into slavery. He is uh, brought down to Egypt. And the Bible says when he gets there, he is purchased by this guy named Potiphar. Okay, so we are now introduced to a new character in the story, this guy named Potiphar. Now we actually don't know a whole lot about this guy, but there's a few things we know. And in fact, you'll notice even in this verse, it tells us a couple of things that we know about Potiphar. First off, we know that he was one of Pharaoh's officials. Okay, now Pharaoh, many of you guys know, in Egypt, Pharaohs were like the kings of Egypt. And so the fact that Potiphar was one of his officials meant that he was a pretty high-ranking dude, right? He was, a, he was a direct report to the Pharaoh, to the king of Egypt. And the Bible tells us that the position he had was he was the captain of the guard. And commentators point out that that's kind of like, you can kind of think like the chief of police, or if you can think of like, uh, like the chief, uh, the chief um, executioner, that would have been what Potiphar was. And so here, here's what we know about Potiphar. We know that he was most likely a really wealthy guy, very powerful. He had a high-ranking position, right? And so, we, so Joseph gets sold into slavery into the household of this guy, Potiphar. Now, I want you to notice what the Bible says in verse two. It says, now the Lord was with Joseph so that he prospered and he lived in the house of his Egyptian master. Now, I want you to, if you got your Bible and you happen to have a pen or if you got your phone, I want you to do me a favor. I want you to actually highlight this phrase or circle it or underline it. The Lord was with Joseph. The Lord was with Joseph. And, and here's why. I wanna let you in on something we're gonna find as we go through this chapter. What we're gonna find in chapter 39 is that this phrase, this little phrase, the Lord was with Joseph is going to appear four times. Four times the author is going to tell us, the Lord was with Joseph, the Lord was with Joseph, the Lord was with Joseph, the Lord was with Joseph. Now, the reason this is so important, by the way, is if you were with us last week, when we looked at Joseph getting sold into slavery, when we watched him being abandoned by his brothers, you might remember, we said that in that chapter of the Bible, God is not mentioned one time. And we said, that's actually pretty rare. You're hard pressed to find any chapter in the Bible that doesn't mention God, but that chapter doesn't mention him once. But here in Genesis chapter 39, four times the Bible is gonna tell us the Lord is with Joseph. Eight times the Bible is gonna mention God, mention the Lord in some way or another. And so the author is trying to tell us something very important. And what is that, man? The Lord was with him. The Lord was with Joseph. And so notice the Bible says, because the Lord was with Joseph, he started to prosper in the house of Pharaoh. In fact, the Bible explains what that prospering looked like. So check this out. It says, when his master saw that the Lord was with him, there it is again, the Lord was with him. When the master saw that and that the Lord gave him success in everything he did, Joseph found favor in his eyes and he became his attendant. Potiphar put him in charge of his household and he entrusted to his care everything that he owned. All right, so get this. The Bible says that because Joseph remains consistent in his character, in his conduct, in his convictions, and because God is with him, that he begins to experience success in the house of Potiphar. He's a good worker. He's an upstanding guy. Potiphar recognizes there's something different about Joseph. And so because of that, he begins to promote Joseph. So Joseph, you probably see here, he gets promoted to becoming his personal attendant, so Potiphar, he becomes like Potiphar's right-hand man. And then the Bible says that Potiphar actually is so impressed with Joseph, he eventually puts him in charge of his entire household, puts him in charge of everything. Now, real quick, um, I wanna mention on this point, I think for, for some of us, when we hear household, like as 21st century Western people, 
what we tend to think of when we think of a household is we kind of think of like your, your typical American household, right? So, so what does that look like? Well, you know, it's like a husband and wife and you got some kids and you got a dog if you're a Christian and a cat if you're not. And like, that's kind of what it, that's what like the, the, the structure of a home looks like. But I want you to understand that back in this time in an ancient household, it actually was pretty different. Ancient households were much more like estates. So it was very common for extended family to live under one roof. It was very common to have several slaves that you would have that did different jobs within that house. You would often have land that you would grow crops. You would have animals, all that kind of stuff. So when the Bible says that Potiphar put Joseph in charge of his household, that was a lot of responsibility that he put in Joseph's care. But notice what the Bible says here. It says, from the time he put Joseph in charge of his household and all that he owned. This is interesting. The Lord blessed that household of the Egyptian because of Joseph. So because Joseph is there, the Bible says that the blessing of God comes on that household. It says the blessing of the Lord was on everything that Potiphar had, both in the house and in the field. You see right here, I want you to notice, Joseph is personifying what it means to be a thermometer. I mean, not only, not only has he remained true to his character and convictions and his conduct through these, these turbulent circumstances, but the Bible says that he actually begins transforming the environment that he lives in because of his character and his convictions and his faith and his belief, right? Like a true thermostat. Like a true thermostat, his circumstances don't overcome him. He actually begins to transform the circumstances around him. It's amazing. Now check this out. The Bible says, so Potiphar left everything he had in Joseph's care. With Joseph in charge, he did not concern himself with anything except for the food that he ate. So the Bible says that Joseph became so useful to Potiphar that Potiphar did not concern himself with anything except for what he had to eat. In other words, the only thing that came across Potiphar's desk every day was a dinner menu. Whenever him and Joseph got together to talk about household affairs, Potiphar was probably like, so Joseph, is there anything I need to know? Are there any decisions I need to make? And Joseph was like, nope, got it all covered. Everything is going great. Only one decision you need to make, Potiphar, and that is, do you want steak or do you want salmon tonight, right? And Joseph was just, and so here, what you see is by the end of verse six, it appears like things are going pretty good for Joseph. I mean, sure, he's experienced some pain, He's been sold by his brothers and he's been uprooted from his country. But man, now things seem like they're going good. God's with him. He's given him success, right? He's got a good relationship with his boss. He's appreciated in what he does. So it looks like, all right, man, things are going good for him now, right? Circumstances are looking okay until you get to the second part of verse six and there's a plot twist. So watch this next thing. Now, Joseph was well-built and handsome. Now, Joseph was well-built and handsome, ladies, right? And so now the, uh, the author actually lets us in on some previously unknown information, and that's this, that Joseph was a little bit of a stud muffin, right? So Joseph's a good-looking dude. In fact, I think it's kind of interesting. This term, well-built and handsome, is actually used only one other time in the entire Bible to describe one other person. You know who that is? It actually was Joseph's mother, Rachel, which might seem so weird to you to call your mom well-built and handsome. Uh, but actually, in the Hebrew language, probably the better translation is uh, fine in form and face. 
So in other words, they were lookers, right? Joseph's mom was a looker. Joseph was a good looking dude. And so he would have been like on the cover of like all of the Egyptian teeny bopper magazines, right? They all have been like, oh, Joey, Jojo, right? Whatever. That's actually in the Hebrew language. It says that, so that's that's good. But um, Joseph was well-built and handsome. And then look at this. The Bible says, so after a while, Potiphar's wife, his master's wife, started to take notice of Joseph. She started to notice. He's a pretty good-looking dude. And so she said to him, come to bed with me, right? That's what she said to Joseph. And so Joseph, the Bible says that Potiphar sees, Potiphar's wife sees Joseph, recognizes he's a good-looking guy, she starts to make these sexual advancements towards Joseph. Now, it's interesting. Um, I got to tell you, in the English language, uh, the English does not go far enough to express the, I mean, just the forcefulness of, of her um, advancement towards Joseph. I just got to tell you, in the Hebrew language, this, this, uh, this phrase, come to bed with me, it's actually only two words, and they're both imperatives, which means they're commands. So the idea is that she comes after him and she's kind of like, sex now, now. Like that's the idea. You, you thought the Bible was boring, right? And so she comes after him. She comes strong. She comes on real strong. Now, let me just tell you, we're gonna find this um, as we keep reading through the story. This is gonna keep happening. This is gonna happen repeatedly, day after day. Potiphar's wife is going to make these advancements towards Joseph day after day after day. And before we look at what Joseph does, before we look at how he responds to these circumstances, I wanna just take a moment and I want you to just consider with me for a second Joseph's present circumstances. Okay, so I just want you to think this through with me for a minute. What are the external circumstances that Joseph is facing at this moment? And here, here's why I wanna show you this. I believe that if you, if you look at Joseph's circumstances, you will see that everything circumstantially is going against him. What I mean is all of his circumstances are pressing in against his convictions and his character and his beliefs. Everything is pressuring him away from the things that are true about him on the inside. So here's what I mean. Here's what I mean. I'll just show you. First off, just consider this. Joseph's a young guy. During this period in his life, he's a young dude. Presumably late teens, early 20s, right? The last time we saw him in Genesis 37, he was 17 years old. So he's probably 18, 19, 20, somewhere in there. And come on, I think all of us know this. This is a time of life where sexual impulses are at an all-time high. Oftentimes self-control is at an all-time low. It's a combination of, uh, of regretful sexual decisions a lot of times. Being a, so he's a young guy, he's a young guy. Right? On top of that, he's a good-looking guy. He's handsome. He's well-built, and he is handsome. Right? In fact, the Bible tells us the only reason Potiphar starts hitting on him is because he's good-looking. If, if he was ugly, she probably wouldn't have done nothing. Right? And you see, here's the thing. I think a lot of us really, we want to be attractive people. We want to be good-looking until you really think about some of the unique temptations that good-looking people have to go through. In fact, why don't you turn to your neighbor and say, it is a burden to look this good. Just tell them that. Just turn to someone, it is a burden to look this good, right? Why don't you find someone else around you and say, it is a blessing to be ugly, right? I'll let you pick who you tell that to. So things just get awkward. All right, good. So, but he's young, he's good looking, right? He's got that going against him. How about this? His family is riddled with sexual infidelity. 
Joseph does not exactly have great role models in this department. Let's just think about it for a minute. Let's review. Joseph's great-grandfather, Abraham, many of you know, had two different children from two different women. And because of that, there's still geopolitical conflict on the earth, right? Uh, what about Joseph's brothers? Well, the oldest brother, the one that they probably all looked up to was a guy named Reuben. The Bible tells us on one occasion that Reuben slept with one of his father's concubines. That's weird. Uh, Judah, one of Joseph's brothers, if you've read Genesis 38 uh, by chance, it basically documents the sexual dysfunction of Judah. What about Joseph's dad? What about Jacob? Was he, like the, was he the role model of fidelity and faithfulness and sexual integrity? Uh, well, no. Four different women, 13 kids that we know of, maybe more than that, right? And all I'm saying is he doesn't, he doesn't have a lot of great examples in his life of what sexual integrity looks like. In addition to that, he's just experienced deep personal pain. I mean, you gotta think about, we just talked about this last week, man. Joseph has been sold by his brothers. He has been abandoned. He has been rejected by them, right? And I'm just saying the amount of emotional and psychological trauma that has been inflicted on this young guy, he's got baggage, man. Like you don't walk away from something like that without wounds, She's got that going on. And then on top of all of this already, she is the one that's coming on to him. He's not looking for this. He's not, you know, trying to figure out a way to get her in bed. She's the one that's coming after him. And, and listen, here's all I'm saying. That the deck is stacked against Joseph on this one. How easy, how easy would it have been for him just to give in, just to go? He could have used any one of these reasons, let alone all of them, right? To justify and to rationalize just giving in on his convictions and his character and his beliefs. He could have just done that. He could have just said, you know what? I know it's not the right thing to do, but come on, I'm young, I'm good looking. You only live once, right? Come on, I'm, you know, youth is gonna eventually go away. My looks are gonna fade. I might as well take advantage of it. Now, he could, have done, he could have said, you know what? My family, if you, would, if you would know the example I've been given, I don't know anything different. It's just who I am. It's what I come from. It's what I've seen. It's all I know. Could have easily said that. You know what he could have done? He could have said, you know what, man? When I was in that pit and when I was sold by my brothers, you know what? Where was God then? So I'm supposed to obey him now? Where was he when I needed it? He could have easily done that. And by the way, it's easy for us to do the same thing. It's easy for us to look at the different variables within our circumstances, the different nuances, and use those as justifications and rationalities of why we should cave on our convictions and you know, give in and let our character be defeated or whatever it might be. It's easy to do that. It's so easy to do that. It would have been so easy for Joseph to do that. But what does he do? I want you to notice what Joseph does. Check this out, this is great. Verse eight, <clears throat> but he refused. Joseph refused. Joseph said, no. Now, now watch this. With me in charge, he told her, my master does not concern himself with anything in the house. Everything he owns has been entrusted to my care. No one is greater in this house than I am. My master has withheld nothing from me except you. Now this is key. Because you are his wife. So Joseph says, Mrs. Potiphar, maybe I need to remind you that you are Mrs. Potiphar, that you are married to him. 
right? Now, now again, if you were here last week, you might remember we said Joseph was a person of conviction. Here's what we know about Joseph. Joseph was a man who believed in God and he believed in God's commandments. He believed in God's principles for living. And one of God's principles for living, and you guys probably know this if you've read the Bible, is the Bible tells us that as it relates to sexuality, that God has defined and has created sexuality as a gift. He's given it to us. It's a wonderful thing. But God has designed sexuality to be within the context of a loving, monogamous husband and wife marital relationship. That is the context in which, and anything that is outside of that, the Bible says that's not God's desire. That's not what God, it leads to pain and, and regret and hurt and all kinds of stuff that God doesn't want for us. So Joseph knows this. So he says, I can't do this. I can't do this because you're married to Potiphar. And then look what he says next. Man, this is so powerful. Look what he says next. How then could I do such a wicked thing and sin against so big? God, how could I go and do this and sin against God? Whoa, 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 whoa. Potiphar, you don't, or Joseph, you don't mean that. You mean, how could I do that and sin against Potiphar? That's what you mean, right? That's what you mean. No. How could, how could I go and sin against Potiphar's wife? That's what you mean, right? You don't, no, no. How could I go and do this thing and sin against God. I think this is so important. You remember last week I said that in the story, we're going to see five internal perspectives that Joseph had that enabled him to stay strong in his circumstances, to his convictions, and to his character, and to his conduct. And I believe that right here in this verse, we have a window. We have a window into what's going on to the heart and the mind of Joseph. What is happening inside of him that is empowering him to continue to continue to say no and to stand strong in the midst of temptation. And here's what I believe it is. I believe it's this. It's this perspective. If you're taking notes, I put it this way. You can jot this down if you want. This is perspective number one. I believe that Joseph was convinced God is with me and he sees me. I believe Joseph was absolutely 100% confident and convinced that God is with me. He's here and he sees in other words, God is perceptive and he is present. And he is not, even though he might sometimes be silent, he is not absent. He is right here. He is present and he is with me and he sees me. In other words, he's not inattentive. He's not aloof. He's not not paying attention. He is paying attention and he is watching and he cares and he is concerned about what is happening in my life. He is with me and he sees me. That's what Joseph thinks. How is it possible that Joseph can stand up in the midst of this temptation, regardless of his circumstances, and stay true to his character and conviction? It's because he believes this with all of his heart. God is with me. I can't do this to God because he's with me, he's here, he's present, and he sees me. He hasn't abandoned me. You see, and I can't help but wonder, again, what would someone in your circumstance do if they were totally convinced that God is with you? God sees you, God is with me, and God sees me. And so Joseph, the Bible says, continues to refuse, and watch this. <clears throat> and though she spoke to Joseph day after day, he refused to go to bed with her or even be with her. So the Bible says this, this keeps happening. She keeps coming after him, and the Bible says that Joseph is like, get away. So Potiphar's wife is over there, I'm going over here. That's what Joseph does. Until one day, one day he went into the house to attend to his duties, Notice the Bible says none of the household servants was inside. 
So now Joseph finds himself in a dangerous situation. It's just him and Potiphar's wife by themselves. Nobody else is around. And the Bible says this, she caught him by his cloak and she said, come to bed with me again, right? But he, by the way, I gotta just say on this, I don't know why this might be weird to you, but every time I read this story, when I think of Potiphar's wife, I always think of Miss Piggy. I don't know, isn't that just like a, I mean, it's obviously a very like disturbing version of Miss Piggy, but I'm like, I don't, the forcefulness and the, I, whatever. Okay, so I'm not saying the Muppets should redo this story. I'm just saying, okay. All right, so she caught him. She said, come to bed with me. But look, he left his cloak in her hand and he ran out of the house. So here's what's crazy. The Bible says that she goes from being like forceful to being physical. She grabs his robe. She says, come to bed with me now. And he, the Bible says, he takes off without his robe, runs out in his underwear kind of thing, right? Now, now I gotta mention to you, this is the second time in this story now that Joseph has been disrobed, second time. This is gonna be a theme that you're gonna see is that with every descending step that Joseph takes, there's a disrobing that goes along with it. And as he ascends, there's a robing that is attached to it. It's something the author does. It's really fascinating. But you notice the Bible says he runs out. He runs out without his cloak. Then watch this. When she saw this, when she saw that, he had left his cloak in her hand and that they had run out of the house. She called her household servants. Watch what she does next. Look, she told them, this Hebrew has been brought to us to make sport of us. He came in here to sleep with me, but I screamed. And when he heard me scream for help, he left his cloak beside me and he ran out of the house. So you see what she does. Now she lies about Joseph. She sets him up. She calls in her servants and she says, he tried to rape me. And by the way, <clears throat> this doesn't look good for Joseph. He just ran out of the house in his underwear. And so, so, so they're seeing this scenario play out. So what happens next, I'll summarize a little bit. What happens next, the Bible says Potiphar comes home. Potiphar's wife tells Potiphar that Joseph tried to do this thing to her. Potiphar is livid and he sends Joseph to prison. And so now Joseph is in prison for the very thing that he refused to do. See, and I can't help but wonder if at this point, Joseph is feeling like God is punishing him for doing the right thing. Have any of you ever felt that way before? I felt that way before. You ever feel that way? God, I did the right thing. God, I told the truth. God, I, I didn't cheat. God, I was faithful. God, I did the thing and things didn't get better, they got worse. God, I, I don't understand this. I thought that if I followed you, that meant you would bless me. But since I've done this, things have gotten worse. You ever feel that way? I felt that way. Joseph's feeling that way. I'm sure he's feeling that way. But I want you to notice what the text says, because this is so important. Verse 21, while Joseph was there in prison, the Lord was with him. So the author's making sure we know this. Yeah, Joseph's in prison, but God's with him. God is with him. God is with him there in the prison. And he showed him kindness and he granted him favor in the eyes of the prison warden. God was with him even when he was in prison. Now, I can't help but wonder if, if at this point, Joseph is thinking to himself, you know what, God? I don't want you to be with me anymore. You know what? I could use a break. Honestly, God, because let's just review the tapes, all right? Since you've been with me, 
My brothers have tried to kill me. They have sold me into slavery. They threw me in a pit. I've been falsely accused and I've been thrown in prison. And so you know what, God? I don't necessarily wanna be with you right now. Maybe you wanna, in fact, you know what? Why don't you go be with someone else? Why don't you, I got an idea. Why don't you go be with my brothers? I'm sure they would love that. Why don't you go be with Potiphar's wife? She would probably love a visit from you, right? That's what I would be thinking if I was in his shoes. But what does Joseph do when he's in prison? What does he do in this circumstance? I'll tell you what he does. Joseph does what anybody would do who was absolutely confident that God was with them and that he saw them. So the Bible says that, that Joseph remained strong, character in his belief, in his conviction, and in his conduct in such a way. Look at this, this is crazy. The warden put Joseph in charge of all of those held in prison and he was made responsible for all that was done there. The warden paid no attention to anything under Joseph's care. How crazy is this? The warden puts a prisoner in charge of all the prisoners. He's like, I'm not even gonna watch what you're doing. I don't need to. You're so trustworthy. You're so absolutely different. Like a true thermometer, he begins to change the environment that he is in. And look at this. The Bible says it's all because the Lord was with him. It's all because the Lord was with Joseph when he was in these moments because Joseph was confident and he was sure God is with me and he sees me. He is, even though he might be silent, he is not absent. He is attentive and he cares and he sees. That's what he believed. You know, one of the big mistakes that everybody in this story makes with the exception of Joseph, I don't know if you noticed this, is you see everyone in this story acting and making decisions in such a way that they believe that nobody is watching and nobody is there. Have you noticed this? So Joseph's brothers, when they sold Joseph into slavery, do you remember how that happened? Their dad wasn't around. They were out of town. They thought no one was watching and they thought no one was there. And so they sold their brother into slavery. And when they watched their brother go off, carted down to Egypt, they probably assumed we got away with it. No one will ever find out because nobody saw. Uh, Potiphar's wife, right? When she comes on to Joseph, when she falsely accuses him, she does this under the, under the impression that it's her word against his. Just the two of us. No one else was there. No one was watching. No one was present. So they're making decisions. Now, here is the most crazy, ironic part of this whole story, right? Just think about this for a minute. Here we are, like, I don't know, I don't even know how many thousands of years later, in Medina, Ohio, on the other side of the world, right? Uh, at this service on May, whatever it is, 2018, right? And what is the one thing we know about Potiphar's wife? What is the one thing she is known for throughout all of history? She is only known for one thing, and she is just known for the one thing that she thought that she got away with because no one was watching and nobody was present. Joseph's brothers, what are they known for? They're known for a couple things, but primarily they're known for the one thing they did when they thought no one was watching and no one was paying attention. And what is Joseph known for? Well, Joseph is known for the things he did when no one was watching and no one was paying attention. Now, why is that? Here's why. Because God is with us and because God sees. See, I think, I think Joseph understood what the book of Hebrews says, and that's this. Nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. Everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of him to whom we must give account. The Bible says everything, everything in all creation 
Everything is uncovered and laid bare. There is nothing that isn't revealed to him, whether it be Joseph or Potiphar's wife or whether it be Joseph's brothers, everything, the Lord is there and the Lord sees. See, if, if Joseph's brothers and Potiphar's wife would have believed this, they wouldn't have done what they did. There's no way. But what is it that empowered Joseph to act the way he did in his circumstances? Well, it was an internal perspective that he believed, God is with me and God sees. God is with me and God sees. And so I ask you the question one last time that we started with. What would someone in your circumstances do if they were completely and totally confident that God was with them and he saw them? What would someone in your, what would someone in your marriage, someone in your divorce, someone in your singleness, someone in your frustrating argument thing that you're in right now, your family dynamic, your school, your temptation, what would someone who is absolutely confident, your pain, your trial, what would someone who is absolutely confident that God was with them and that he saw, what would they do? You see, here's what I'd encourage you to do. I'd encourage you to do that. I'd encourage you to do that. And here's why. Because I believe when you do that, you will see the power of God in your life and in your circumstances, like Joseph saw. I believe that through that, you will see God in your circumstance and through your circumstance. And I think you'll find his power available to you there. God is with you. He sees you. I'm gonna ask the band to come up and as they settle in, I, wanna, I actually wanna end our time with one final thought that I think is really important in light of this conversation. And that's this. I think uh, for some of you, I just wanna be clear on this. When I talk about this perspective, God is with me and God sees me. My fear is that for some of you in the room, when you read that, that honestly makes you a little bit um, scared um, and maybe you feel guilty, kind of like uh, he's, he sees me, like he sees me when I'm sleeping, he knows when I'm, like God's out to, he's out to get me, right? And let me just say, if you're reading it that way, I think you're reading it wrongly because here's the truth. I think for some of us, when we read that, we, we maybe it makes us feel full of guilt, for the mistakes that we've made in the past. There's been things we've done and we think back and we're like, oh my gosh, if I would have known that or now, nah, geez, when I read that, it's just, oh, God must be so disappointed in me and he must be so, and, and let, me just, let me just tell you this because this is so important that you hear this. None of us, none of us are perfect and none of us get it right. We all make mistakes. Every single one of us makes mistakes. And see, none of us are Joseph. None of us are completely flawless in this. In fact, we're gonna talk about this later. Joseph is actually a little bit of a foreshadowing of Jesus, all right? And here's the reality, and here's the good news. We all make mistakes, but this is why Jesus came. Jesus came to forgive us and to offer us a fresh and new opportunity to follow him. And so if you read this and it just fills you with guilt and regret and the decisions that you made in the past, I don't want you to read it that way. My hope is that this instead would fill you with excitement and would fill you with courage to begin living this way today. That this would give you a vision for the life that God wants for you, that you can live this way. In your you can be freed from your circumstances defining you and directing you and you can allow this to be like, like a beacon of, of like, a, like a lighthouse, something that helps you stay fixed in where you're going. God is with me and God sees me. 
I love the way Second uh, Chronicles chapter 16, verse nine says it. it. This is what it says. I love it so much. It says, the eyes of the Lord range throughout the earth. You guys ever hear this verse? Second Corinthians t- uh, uh, 16, nine. The eyes of the Lord range throughout the earth looking for people to exploit their sins and punish them. Is that what it says? No, no. Some of you are like, that's terrible. That's not, that's not what it says. You know what it says? It says the eyes of the Lord range throughout the earth looking to strengthen those who are fully devoted to him. God sees you. He wants to strengthen you. He wants to give you what you need if you would believe that he is with you and that he sees you. Let's pray together. Lord, I just want to say thank you so much for your word. Thank you for preserving by the power of your spirit <clears throat> uh, your word to us. We, we, don't, we don't believe, at least I can say I don't believe, that what we're dealing with is some uh, antiquated, outdated story about some guy that's irrelevant to our lives today. That's not true. That's not true. I believe this is your word and that it's extremely relevant to us. So God, thank you that you're present. You're here. Thank you that you see us. You're not inattentive. You're not aloof. You care. You're watching. You see. You want to strengthen us. So Father, I pray that even right now in these next moments, would you increase our awareness of your presence? Father, would you help someone in this room know that right now, right now, they can turn to you because you're here. You can strengthen us. If we need strength, we can ask you right now because you're right here. We can turn to you. We can trust you. So, Father, I pray that you'd help us to live differently as a result of the things that you've taught us today. Lord, empower us. Empower us to be people who are not defined and determined by our circumstances. But, Lord, that, our, that, that, we can be, that instead we can stay strong in our convictions and our character and our trust in you because we know you're with us and we know that you see us. We pray these things in Jesus' name.